Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Hi, my name is Isaiah, and I get the privilege to serve here at Fellowship Fayetteville as the worship pastor for FSM. So normally I'm in a room uh, to you guys' right on Sunday morning, but I get to be here with you guys this morning. It's a privilege. Um, and as we turn to worship this morning, uh, could you guys stand as a body this morning as uh, we read some scripture to start uh, just to focus and posture our hearts before we go to the Lord in song. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3:18 says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this morning we're gonna sing a song called Behold Him. I mean, something that we've been really talking about in FSM is this idea of, of seeing Jesus and how that changes everything about who we are. It changes the way that we live, the way that we love each other and the world that's around us. So this morning, as we sing, would that be our focus, is seeing Jesus clearly. Uh, would you guys bow your heads and I'll pray for us this morning as we begin. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for an opportunity to be in your house with your people, an opportunity to worship you and give you just a piece of the glory and the honor that you are due and deserving of. And Father, as we see you this morning, as we see your character and your faithfulness and your goodness, Father, we pray, we pray, God, that, that would affect something in us, that your spirit would, would change us, would change our hearts, God, and transform us uh, from the inside out. God, I pray that as we sing, we would, we would sing not just uh, as an act of repetition, God, but we would sing knowing that Man, our praises go straight to you. God, we would sing with hearts to encourage those around us and you would, you, that you would unite us as a body this morning. Would you be with us and in us and around us, Father? We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together, church.
Church. Oh my goodness, that was so great. Thanks, team. Hey, before you guys get too comfortable as you're sitting down, if you want to take all your stuff and just move as far left as possible, and that truly helps our ushers make sure everyone has a seat. Um, so thank you so much for that. Hey, I don't often get up here on Sunday mornings, uh, so let me introduce myself. My name is Eileen, and I have the privilege of serving on the college team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Um, for those of you who didn't know, we have an incredible college ministry. Um, we have some amazing students that like to come here and worship, so praise God for that. We meet on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. here in this room for a time of worship and teaching and baptisms and just a really great time to be together in fellowship. And then we have um, ways of just um, being together during the week with small groups and things like that. So um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but college students are changing the world. And the Lord is doing some really, really incredible things um, throughout the nation, but also here in Northwest Arkansas at the University of Arkansas and John Brown and NWAC. And it's really cool to see students who are excited about worshiping the Lord. And actually, if you guys are in college, I know a lot of you sit over here. Would you raise your hand real quick just so we can see you? Y'all, that's amazing. That's so cool. That college students want to be here. And I don't know, I know most of you aren't in college, but if you remember what it's like to be 18 to 21 years old, like that's scary. I'm not that far out from it, but there's a lot going on in that season. There's a lot of new things. And truly that's a time where people 
learn what it looks like to, to follow Jesus for the first time. They're not under the, the regulation of their parents. They're really stepping out and, and following Jesus. So it's a really cool time, and we're just really excited to have them. So if you're in college and you're not connected, um, my email's on the screen. Please reach out. I would love to get you connected in a small group or ways of serving. And for the rest of you who aren't in college, um, like I said before, it's a scary time. It's a new time. We want your wisdom. Even if you're a few years out of college, you have so much to teach these students and ways of coming alongside of them. The, the person that impacted my walk with the Lord the most was just this young mom and being able to go to her house during the week and watch her make meals for her kids and um, care for her family well. That was just so impactful for my walk with the Lord. So if you are interested in serving, I mean, there's discipleship for college students. There's ways where you can just bring Bring a meal to the church on Sunday nights. Um, we have an incredible group of people that come here early and set everything up and lead worship and, and lead our front lines team and they need to eat dinner. So if you want to get in that rotation, you can do that. But there are so many ways to get plugged into the college ministry and I would love to be in touch with you guys even if you're just curious about it. So please feel free to reach out. Otherwise, that is all I have for you this morning. So before we step back into worship, I'm going to pray for us. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Father, you are so, so good. And goodness, I'm encouraged just to, to be here and, and just hear this worship this morning, um, just in the hearts that are turned towards you. So Lord, I just pray that as we step into the teaching this morning, that you would speak through Clark, that our ears would be receptive to what you have to teach us. And ultimately, Lord, that this morning would just glorify you. So, Father, I pray that we would leave here and go into this week being more in love with you and desiring to know you even more. Lord, we, we thank you for your son. He is the whole reason that we are here. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Church, could we stand this morning as we continue in worship? familiar words sing father of kindness and father of kindness you have poured out grace you brought me out of darkness you have filled me with peace sing giver giver of mercy oh my in time of need lord i can't help Together we sing faithful and faithful you are. Blessing, blessing, redeem. 
19 through 23. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It's the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you, Anne. How do you become a person, the type of person, that an unbelieving pagan king would want to rescue? How do you become that kind of person? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Find it on your device, your phone, wherever you have the scriptures in front of you this morning if you're new here. Uh, my name is Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And um, again, if you're new here, um, we team teach. And so there's a variety of us that will work through books of the Bible together throughout the year. And uh, we share the teaching responsibilities here. Uh, one of my roles is congregational leader here, but I get to be a part of a team of very gifted individuals that God uses um, to teach the scriptures. And so we're grateful that you found a place here this morning, literally, that you found a place to sit, um, for sure. Um, well, Daniel, um, again, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, I think sometimes we just assume that everyone's heard this story, Daniel and the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. But if you're not familiar with Daniel, 
Daniel is found in the Old Testament in a section of Scripture towards the back of the Old Testament. In fact, feel free to use your table of contents. There's no shame in that, okay? I still do that. I get mixed up in the prophets a little bit. But this section of Scripture is found in the back half of your Old Testament. And Daniel is found in a section called the prophets. And the prophets were simply these, they were mouthpieces of and for God to Israel, to Judah, and as we'll continue to see in Daniel, to pagan Gentile kings. They served as blessing, warning, and judgment to the kings of these kingdoms as a reminder that there is one true God in Israel. He's worthy of worship, and he's the one we should bend the knee to, okay? That's part of the theme that moves us through the Old Testament. These men were fallible, but they were the voice of God. And for those of you familiar with this story that are in the room this morning, we're going to drop into, pun intended, Daniel's lion's den this morning. And so I want to just catch us up to speed in case you've maybe been out one or two weeks during this series on where we've been. You can see kind of the timeline there um, in chiastic form. This is what we call a chiasm where the story builds. Um, It peaks as it did this past week with the pride of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And then there's a mirror reflection of what's happening in the previous part of the story as the story winds down. It's a way that the author would write to help people remember the flow of a story. And so just to catch us up this morning on where we've been in week one, we were introduced to a man named Daniel. He's a committed worshiper of Yahweh. He worships Yahweh alone. He's been taken from his home, likely around the age of 15, into exile. He's been taken from Jerusalem into exile to a place called Babylon, and he's under the authority and the rule of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Um, In week two, this man, Daniel, he interprets multiple dreams and visions for king, okay? In these visions, we see not only current history for them, but future history for us, where Daniel would prophesy these trends, these nations that would come, their rise and fall. And then we meet three of his friends who were also taken into exile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we see them rescued for the glory of God in the fiery furnace. And then last week, we see two kings humbled because of their pride. Which, by the way, hopefully there's no one in the room this morning that thinks you're beyond the reach or in a place where you feel like you've arrived in terms of your pride, okay? In fact, if you think that, you're in desperate need to be here this morning, all right? It's what humility does to us. And in fact, I'm right there with you. In the last 10 days, I've been incredibly tempted to walk in pride with my words. I've been tempted to act on a vindictive spirit in my own life, and I've been tempted to choose a way that feeds the flesh and promotes the glory of Clark and not the glory of God. So I don't know about you guys, but I've been tempted in that way in the last 10 days, and God has been gracious to use this story to form me, to bend me, 
to crush my heart as he forms me into the image of his son. Can we all be in that together this morning? I hope so. That's why we're here. We're being formed by his word, by his people, by his spirit as we stand under the authority of the scriptures. And so I need you to go there with me this morning. And today we see a man who is rewarded for his trust in God. And as we set up the story, I want to prepare us for application. My concern is the last few weeks you've been able to hide a little bit behind the pride of these other kings that you don't quite connect with, all right? There are these, these, these um, figures in history, and you're trying to figure out, okay, now how does that relate to me, okay? We're not, you're not going to get off easy this morning. This is going to be intensely application-focused and practical for you. We're going to have some questions for you as we work through the text this morning. We want to be doers of God's word, not hearers only. If you were here in week one, Garland introduced us to this idea of the way of faithful presence, the way of faithful presence, and he highlighted these three ways to practically seek the good of a culture, to courageously resist the idols of culture, and to humbly trust that Yahweh, that God is the true king of culture. And then he pushed us into these contexts that many of you find yourself in week to week. Consider these four circles as a way to consider how to apply some of the passage. Will you find yourself in a family, um, in a neighborhood? A, a word that we use around here is this word perish, where you, you come and you go and you you play and you live and you serve a local school. It's, it's your parents. It's your community. Um, many of you find most of your hours during the day in a place called the marketplace or work. Um, you engage the community through certain hobbies and you engage in certain types of entertainment for fun. And then many of you are connected all through the community of Fayetteville and the greater Northwest Arkansas area in areas of civic and social engagement. So we know uh, that, that you're connected, and we know that we want to be faithful in our presence of Jesus in these spaces. And Daniel finds himself in so many ways in his culture at odds with what he sees in the kingdom he lives in. Do you feel that? If you don't, that could be a problem too. Maybe you've been morphed into or by the culture God has called us to be in it. It's a life for the gospel. Well, Daniel lives in a time and a place as a Jew. He's hanging on to the promises of God that God made to his people. We live in a time and a place. We're not Israel. We're not Judah. We're not a theocracy. We're not physically in exile like Daniel and his friends were. Spiritually speaking, the New Testament church, we move our way through history, we do find ourselves, if you will, spiritually in exile. Some of you, more than ever, you feel like you, as you come to know and to follow Jesus, you feel more and more like you're in a world that's not your home. We're called exiles, we're journeymen, we're passing through, and yet God wants us to make the most of this journey while we're in this time in place. And in this story today, we're going to see Daniel take up arms, go to battle, and engage in what I'd like to call three weapons. Three weapons of faithful presence. Weapons of the way, if you will. There may be other weapons, I'm certain there are, but as followers of Jesus, 
we've got to get these three right if we're going to be a light in a dark culture as God measures it. How does Daniel stay faithful when he's personally attacked in a world that's not his home? I want to note these three ways, integrity, prayer, and submission. Integrity, prayer, and submission. Are you form, fully formed by Jesus personally in these three areas this morning? Are these the weapons that you use when you're personally attacked by your peers, when you're under the authority of an unjust ruler or supervisor? Do you use these three weapons as weapons of the way? Well, let's pick it up. Verse one, let's set the scene. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators, Daniel, Being one of those, the satraps were made accountable to them, these administrators, so that the king might not suffer loss. And so just a brief timeline update. The Medo-Persians have now assumed the role as the primary world influence or kingdom of that day. Daniel's found himself at least under his third different king or ruler that he's in submission to. He's got exceptional, it says, administrative abilities. And they've landed him, even as a Jew, as one of the top three people who serve this king. And this brings us to our first weapon this morning of faithful presence, integrity. Consider these qualities that's noted about who Daniel is. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities. So much so, the king planned to set him in charge of the whole kingdom, At this point, the other administrators, what? Daniel, of all people, a Jew, in charge of this kingdom? They try to drum up charges against him to falsely accuse him because of the way he handled his affairs. As they did an investigation, they could find no corruption in how he handled his work. They were unable to do so, it says. It says because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. He was both competent and without corruption. He did his job well. And then finally, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, we don't know their motive completely. It could have been jealousy or fear that if a man of integrity assume a role as the leader of this kingdom, they would be held accountable for unjust practices they were engaged in. Some have suggested there was even some anti-Semitism as a motive. So they think of a way to trap him using his religion against him. Now, let's be clear. We, again, we, we find ourselves in a different context than Daniel, but this is Daniel's work. It's his job. It's his assignment. It's his appointment. It's his day job and likely some nights as well. And in his work, he's distinguished himself. He's kept himself from corruption. Most likely in those days, whether it be a judge or a king, if you were without corruption, you didn't accept bribes as a way to get things done. As someone would use you with money to accomplish their purposes. Daniel lived above that. But let me get personal with us this morning, okay? Been asking myself some this week. In fact, I woke up um, after I'd gone to bed about 1.30 last night, 
And I felt incredibly convicted of my own integrity in some areas. And I thought, I'm gonna get up in front of a thousand people <laughs> and get personal with your integrity as well this morning. So some questions for us this morning. In your work, are you the same person on business trips as you are at home? Are you the same person? Integrity means soundness or wholeness. It's a connectedness. Are you careful with how you report certain business expenses? Especially right now, during tax season, do you compromise your integrity for financial gain in your work? Are you negligent in any way in your work as a Christ follower? Is your mouth and speech, your behavior, your lifestyle inconsistent with the kingdom ethic that Jesus has called you to in the marketplace? Can you be counted on when people hear your name? Do they think waffler? Or do you follow through on what you say you're gonna do with the tasks you've been given to do? If you're a college student in here, and we noted some of you, we're glad you're here this morning. Are you walking with integrity in the pursuit of your degree this morning? How about your sexual practice and ethic in that space for the whole room? Are we walking with integrity in those spaces? For those of us in the marketplace, many of you that I sit across the table from, my guess is there's seemingly gray areas in how some of you secure new accounts. It's part of the game, you tell yourself. Everyone does it. There's ways to move into the year numbers around that benefits you. After all, you've got a family to support and maybe even there's a person at work that seems to get you. They're of the opposite sex, and they understand you in a way that your spouse doesn't get you. And you tell yourself it's emotional. After all, it's not adultery. How are you walking in integrity in the marketplace? You see, we can't hide behind the pride of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar from last week. How dare they seek comfort, power, the abuse of power over others, the expense of their integrity. But how about you this morning? Daniel, before his pagan supervisor, some vindictive peers, and his fellow Jewish exiles, could it be said of you as it was of him at work? Is integrity at the center of your faithful presence at work? It's our first weapon of the way, church family. It's what makes us shine as lights, not for your glory, but for the glory of God. Let's keep moving through the narrative. We'll pick it up here in verse six. The administrators and satraps, they went as a group to the king. May you live forever, King Darius. And then they set him up. They set up him in a trap, if you will, even the king, um, to set Daniel up to be accused of something. This is the edict and decree that they set up. Anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. King Darius signs it, puts the decree in writing, and it goes out into the kingdom. 
okay? Now, some of you are wondering, what's this deal with the lion's den? Well, some scholars uh, believe that the Persians actually worshiped fire, whereas the Babylonians would use fire to punish. The Persians would use a den of lions in this sense. So they set Daniel up, this man of integrity, to test his commitment to Yahweh. And then we see in verse 10 our second weapon of the way. When Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Um, Most commentators believe this window was probably up a little bit high. So when Daniel would kneel, he wasn't visible. It was a private place that Daniel found himself in. Three times a day, he gets down on his knees and he prays. Interestingly here, he gives thanks to God, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. This is a practice. This is a habit in his life. And these three men, they find him, and he's asking God for help. Now, Daniel's own prayer life makes him guilty as charged here. He's now aware He persists in this private practice, and this is how he fights against his peer enemies in our story today. Is prayer one of your weapons of faithful presence? You see, he runs to God in this time of crisis, but we find out he's been running to God. Some believe that he's well into his early 80s at this point. This is a practice that he's been doing no matter what his circumstances. I think just as a little bit of a side, some things we can learn from the prayer life of Daniel here. You can see it there on the screen. Daniel's prayer life had a private piece to it. It doesn't mean he didn't pray in public, but we know that he was committed privately to praying. There was a daily aspect. There was a rhythm. He was doing this every day. There was a humble aspect to his prayer life. If you've ever bent your knee, if you're able to do that, I would encourage you to pray on your knees when possible. I know this morning, sometimes in a fog, I roll it out of bed. It's just easier to kind of drop to my knees, and I beg God on behalf of Pam, form her into the image of Jesus, and God, right? And God, I need you. And, and, and what comes out of my mouth in my, on my knees at that moment is it's not a prayer you would want to write and put it in a pretty journal, all right? I'm mumbling just these, these phrases of desperation. God, I need you today. I can't be the person you've called me to be unless you do something in and through me. And so we start on our knees. He's thankful. He gives thanks in all circumstances. It's habitual. There's a rhythm to his day. I don't know if he's using the meal times of the day, um, the way the sun moves throughout the day to kind of guide his reminder to pray three times a day, and then he's, he's, he's helpful, meaning he's petitioning. He's asking God for specific things. This is the type of prayer life that forms a man who can stare down lions in a lion's den. Well, we move through the story, verses 12 and 13. They find him, they go to the king, and the statement they make is Daniel still praying against you three times a day, king. He dishonors you. You ever wondered what he's praying for? I think we know he's probably praying, praying God, you've got to rescue. <laughs> if you don't show up, um, I'm going to be a meal overnight. We, we think he's praying for help in that situation. But we also know 
in Daniel chapter 9, he's reflecting on the writings of Jeremiah. It's a prophet to those in exile. Hear these words in verse 7 of chapter 29 in Jeremiah. Also, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I've carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He's praying for help. He's praying for the prospering of the city that he lives in that's not his home. And then in verse 12, God says this, you'll call on me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and it will bring you back from captivity. I think Daniel's also likely praying for rescue for his people, that God would be faithful to his promise to bring them out of exile and back in to their land. So a lot could be said about prayer right now. In fact, many of you are familiar, be it social, um, be it secular or Christian sources, uh, with some of the revival things that are going on around our country, be it at Asbury College in Kentucky or some other places where there's this movement of worship and prayer and confession and communication of the gospel and repentance of sin. God seems to be doing something. I've heard one guy say uh, that prayer is revival. (laughs) When people are praying, God must be doing something. Why? Because we don't pray. And if we're praying, then God is doing something. Our prayer lives reveal the level of our dependence on God. I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to do something measurable in public than to trust in private. How about you? It's easier for you to do ministry things that are measurable in public than to trust God prayer in prayer in private. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a partnership in how we live this out, but who are you praying with? Are you praying? Heard this past week of a group of men that gather once a week early in the morning as the sun comes up, and they pray for the needs and for the people in their parish, in their neighborhood, in their school community. What if the only thing you could be accused of is your commitment to your spiritual disciplines? Now, I want to give you a, something that you can use when you walk out today in the information booth, the welcome booth right there to your left or to your right. Um, There are one-page prayer guides to walk you through how to do a prayer drive or prayer walk around certain parts of our city, okay? It'd be a great practice for you to do as a community group, as a family, with someone you're discipling, to take that, find a place in Fayetteville, and to pray for our city to prosper so that the gospel would be made known and Jesus would be glorified, and Daniel makes a choice to be a person of prayer. Well, keep moving through the story. The king hears this, that he's caught in his own edict. He knows that he's going to have to follow through on Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. He gives the order in verse 16. They bring Daniel. They throw him into the lion's den, and the king says, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. And I would note here, once again, God does not keep Daniel from trial or adversity. He meets him in it. The lesson for us there, God meets us in, his, in our trial. He doesn't always keep us from it. It's our clue to our third weapon of the way, the weapon of submission to authority, respectful submission to authority. 
the king doesn't sleep well. And we move here into verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king gets up. He hurries to the lion's den. He yells out for Daniel. He hears Daniel, and Daniel says this. May the king, this king, by the way, who followed through on an edict to put Daniel in the lion's den, may this king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, referring to his integrity. Nor have I done anything wrong before you, king. Didn't slander him, bring harm to him. He refers to him as his majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the lion's den. Now, there's some tension here. Daniel disobeys the edict because of what he believes, but he never verbally slanders the king who brought him harm. And not only does he not slander him, but he praises him. Now, from all we understand, this person wasn't a Yahweh alone worshiper, King Darius. In fact, I was asking the question as I was studying the passage, why does Daniel not fight back when they bind him to carry him, an innocent man, to be eaten by lions? If Yahweh can save from the fire and if Yahweh can give these visions that chart the course of history, then couldn't Yahweh, through Daniel and some kind of coup or revolt, flip the kingdom and bring the people back into the land? Could, could Yahweh not have done this? in a different way. And I started asking myself, what? praying is a good discipline, but at some point, you gotta fight back against injustice. Integrity sounds good, but what about Daniel's rights? And submission to authority, it keeps order. But why would a humble Yahweh worshiper persist in honoring a king who participates in the oppression of God's people? Respectful submission. It's our third weapon of the way here. How do you become a person that an unbelieving pagan king would want to rescue? Submission. By the way, easily, this is one of the three weapons that I struggle with most. In fact, I was on a date night with my wife and there was a sign, and when I saw the sign, I thought there's a way around this. The sign prohibited something. The first thing I think of when I see signs that prohibit something is there's got to be a way around it. That's seriously. The first thing she thought of was there's got to be a way to obey this. <laughs> Who needs the prayers in the mornings, right? Submission. To authority. In what ways are we not trusting God because we don't think he's sovereign over authority structures so we take it into our own hands? Well, let's finish with this. What's the outcome and who receives the glory? This is really cool. King Darius writes in verse 25. Who does he write to? All the nations and all the peoples of every language in the earth, this is the decree, and this is what it says about Daniel's God. For he's the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You see this. 
God has used one man's integrity, prayer, and submission to promote his glory to all the peoples of the earth. And it reminds me of a promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 where he says, you and your people, you're going to be a a blessing to all the families, all the ethnic groups, all the language groups of the earth. And here we see them here, this edict of praise that says there is one true God. His name is Yahweh, and he is the king of Israel. God is staying faithful to his promise even while they're in exile. It's not about the lion's den. It's about the glory and the name and the fame and the character of a promise keeper who's using a faithful Jewish exile in a pagan kingdom to let the world know that he's faithful to his promises. Did Daniel, was he faithful in his presence? Was he committed to the way? What were his weapons? Did he practically seek the good of culture? He did through his integrity. Did he courageously resist the idols of culture? He did through his prayer life. Did he trust that Yahweh is king of culture? He did by submission to an unbelieving king. So what about you and your context this week? Integrity, prayer, submission. Or does it manifest itself in terms of application in your family, your neighborhood, in the marketplace, in the ways you entertain yourself and engage leisure, in your civic and social engagements? What weapons are you fighting with? Well, we're going to take communion together this morning, and this is why. The only way that you can become this type of person is to trust and to follow the one who's the better Daniel. His name is Jesus hear these words read from one of Jesus' disciples who struggled with authority issues. In fact, this is the disciple that Jesus told to put his sword back. This is not how we fight. For it is commendable if someone bears up against the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating? This is the persecution they were experiencing in first century Rome under Roman rule for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, then this is commendable before God. Hear these words, church family. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Hear the words, this man of integrity, he committed no sin, nor deceit was found in his mouth, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When they suffered, he made no threats. Instead, I'm picturing Daniel as he makes his way bound to the lion's den. He entrusted himself to Yahweh, who judges justly. Here, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. We need communion this morning because we need to remember the true in the better Daniel. It's not about Daniel, it's not about Darius, it's not about the lion's den. It's 
about the one who would walk with integrity. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul says it was him who knew no sin. In John 17, during his Passion Week, he prays for the church. He prays for the world. He prays for his disciples. He prays for the lost. And on the cross, he prays for his enemies. Jesus would submit to unruly pagan authorities, Pilate, knowing he had sovereignty over him, and he would submit and sacrifice and fight with a different weapon of the way, the weapon of submission. Jesus' lion's den would become the cross, would shut the mouth, not just of lions, shut the mouth of death, shut the mouth of Satan, the accuser who mocks you. We need to remember the weapons of the way that our Savior fought with. This is our way of fighting with intention. In a world that doesn't seem like our home, let's follow the way of Daniel. Better yet, let's follow the way of Jesus. We pray. Well, Father, thank you for the work of your son, his death on the cross, his perfect life lived, so that we, he would be the perfect sacrifice, his resurrection that gives us life, the ascension that brings him to your right hand, and he intercedes ongoing for us, continuing to use one of the weapons of the way, prayer. God, in his name, uh, we need you to remind us and uh, we confess our lack of integrity as we confess our prayerlessness. We confess our pride against authority structures. God, I pray that this would be a remembrance that you've paid for those sins, that in and through you and your spirit, we can walk and become the type of person that a pagan king would want to rescue. Jesus' name, amen. And church, as communion is passed this morning, uh, we want to engage with confession. And for us, confession is uh, just a reminder that we're a broken people and that we're in need of a Savior, agreeing with God um, that we are in need of something this morning. So we know these words, could we say them together as we leave? I say, Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. But we're also grateful this morning because because we know God didn't leave us there in our brokenness and our pain, but actually he sent his son uh, to die on a cross that was due us and to invite us to life and life abundantly. We are assured of our pardon of our sin. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him we have a Savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to sing a new song this morning. It's written out of the same idea of Daniel 6. 
for you are the living God and you endure forever. That idea that God, we declare that that's who you are this morning. So I encourage you guys, as you guys hear these words for the first time, to, to write them on your heart and believe them as true because he is living and active and present here and around us and forevermore. So let's sing these words together. For you are the living God and you endure forever. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory forever.
rest my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior, that cursed His integrity, his prayer life, his submission, the better way. It manifested itself in his body, another weapon, but broken for us. And in his lion's den moment, he was not rescued from it, but he engaged it. For you and for many, body broken for us. Take and eat. Three days later, this man who shed his blood for our lack of those three things would be justified and vindicated because he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. And in Christ, we've been judged rightly. We're credited with the righteousness of Jesus, his blood shed for us. Take and drink. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce 
do that this week fellowship as we leave this place will we be people that seek peace and show grace and we love you guys if you need prayer this morning uh, to our left you guys is right is prayer room right through the hallway there and we love you guys we'll see you next week